Hey everyone, this is Justin. We just finished our first virtual online service. It was amazing. So many of you guys signed on, tuned in, and it looks like it's the beginning of a new church era. And we want to let you know for the next month or so to come and join us online at hugchurch.com live. For those of you who've been following this podcast online, thanks for making this online community real and now bigger and more important than ever. Now, this past Sunday, Pastor Eddie casted a vision that we don't want to just be a church that survives through the coronavirus, but we want to be a church that thrives, that our faith increases, our relationships deepen, and the church becomes stronger. So, join us. We have our EXO accountability groups where we have a seven-day challenge for our men and for our women here at church. We also have small groups via Zoom. We have IG Live on the weekdays for worship guided prayers. We're going to have cooking demos for you and your quarantine loved ones, workout videos, all on Instagram at Hug Church. Well, without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to our newest staff member, our leader in resident, our designated Disney dogs and jujitsu expert on the team, Anthony Jang. He'll be continuing our series on the 99, the power of community. It's really good. So here's Anthony. Good morning, Hug family. No, this is not an ad. I'm sure you're expecting to see Pastor Eddie or Pastor Justin. You're still in the Hug live stream, so don't worry. Hi, my name's Anthony. I am the pastor resident here at Hug Church, and today we get to make history in Hugs and Hug Church's first live service. Yay! So I am excited and happy that we get to live history together right now. But of course, being the new pastor, a lot of times people ask me a lot of questions. And one of the questions that people like to ask me is, Anthony, what do you like? And I, you know, I think that's a great entry level question. And let me tell you, all the people who know me know this. I love Disney. I love Disneyland, I love Disney movies, I even loved hanging out at downtown Disney when parking was free for three hours. So of course, when I tell people that I love Disney, they always ask me the very same question. Anthony, who is your favorite Disney character? Now, there's so, like, I don't, I don't, there's so many Disney characters. I don't even like answering this question because, you know, it makes it seem like I put a lot of thought into it. You know, are there, you have to compare the, the new Disney characters. You have to compare the, the classical Disney characters. Like, you know, like, do I really want to put that much thought into it? And my favorite character is Belle. Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Yep, that's right. I said it. My favorite character, and I really put some serious thought into it, is Belle. But yes, of course, I love Disney movies. And another side of me is my competitive side. I love sports. I love competing. You know, I love just that nature of just like, ah. And you know what? This past week, actually, my competitive side actually came out. You know, when I went out to the market this past week, I went out to get some cake. Yes, just a, just a single slice chocolate cake. And I just saw some, a lot of these people just coming into the store, grabbing as many canned food as they could. And, you know, they're rushing. Some of them pushed me aside to get this food. And I was like, all right. You know, but then after being pushed maybe three or four times, all right, I, I had enough. And I was thinking, all right, I could play this game too. So I started pushing around people, trying to load up canned food and bread and everything into my basket, you know. I, and, and it even got to a point that I even started getting food, 
that I don't even normally eat. The only reason why I put it in my basket was because I saw that guy over there wanting it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to grab it before he could. And I thought about this and I was thinking, man, how silly am I? What's going on that I'm just grabbing as many things as I can just for the sake of it? But let's be honest. Did you do that this past week? When you saw all the people running around the market, collecting as many canned foods, bread, water, toilet paper, did you want to go out and start hoarding things too? Did you start wanting to go and buy all these food even though you didn't need it? Honestly, I did. I got caught up in the emotion. I got caught up with the, with, with the, with the energy of people just running into the store wanting to get as many things as they could because all that they were thinking about was me. All that, I was think, all that they were thinking about was how will I survive and then I got caught up in that. And I was like, you know what? I need to pack for all the things that I need to get. I didn't need to make sure that I have enough dog food. I have to make sure that I have enough canned food. And I got caught up in that. And sometimes, don't we get caught up in that? When we look at people, is like when they're looking out for themselves, we just want to look out for ourselves. I think right now in this time of panic, I mean, we're seeing the worst of humanity. People are elbowing, pushing each other just to get toilet tissue. I just saw online two people fight for this last bag of toilet tissue. I think we're seeing the worst of humanity in this time of panic. And really, it makes me really wonder, why should I care about you when I feel that you don't care about me? Why should I care about people when they only care about themselves? And we wrestle with this fact that right now, everyone is thinking for themselves. So why should I think about others when others, when the other people don't think about me? And right now, in this time, Jesus talks about this story as well. I think this is the most opportune time to talk about what Jesus talked about when he was in front of all these Jews, of what it meant to love one another. And we read in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10, the story that when Jesus was talking to a crowd of Jews, what it means to care for someone when they don't care about us. And that is the question that we're going to look at today, is why should I care? When I feel no one else cares about me. Why should I care when I feel no one else cares about me? And we read in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it starts this. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, that being Jesus, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. 
But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself to Jesus, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I don't know about you, but I do this all the time. Anytime God tells me to do something or when I read in the Bible that I'm supposed to do this, I I go and I'm like, God, Jesus, did you really mean that? Did you really mean that I have to go and love people? Do you really mean I have to go out and say hi and do all these things? Personally, I always justify, I always try to find uh, ways to kind of push it aside. And Jesus continues. And even though we sometimes feel that we want to kind of push back to Jesus, Jesus always has a response. And Jesus replied in verse 30 with the story, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. You know, when I picture this, I think about the movie called 127 Hours. Now, if you guys haven't watched it, it's about a guy. It's actually based on a true story about a guy who loves the outdoors, loves rock climbing, hiking, extreme bike riding. And he goes out where no one knows. No one knows where he's going. No one knows where he is. And he goes and he's, he's, he's having fun riding and, and going on this adventure. But then all of a sudden, his arm gets caught in a boulder. And he had to, it was a story about his survival for 127 hours. That's about like over five, little over five days. And I just picture this, this man whose, whose arm was caught in a boulder, left for dead. No one knows where he is. No one knows he's missing. But he's just there. And imagine this man who was on the road and he was beaten and stripped and left for dead on the road. No one there. No one knows where he is. No one knows where he, he's missing. And by chance... By chance, someone comes by his hope for survival. And this man is a priest. Now, in Jewish culture, uh, the priest, he's seen, he is revered. He is seen as a man of God. And if anyone would help this man, it would be this priest. Because this priest, his job is literally to be in the presence of God. But this priest... This man of God, he's walked down this road and he sees this man left half dead. And he deliberately, he purposefully walks to the other side and walks on his way. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us why he didn't help the man. And, you know, there could have been many reasons why. You know, for the Jewish culture, the priest, um, they weren't allowed to touch blood or allowed to touch a dead body because if they did, they would be called, they would be then deemed ceremonially unclean and that they wouldn't be able to perform their religious duties until they, until they clean themselves. But regardless of religious duties, regardless of the culture, when this man needed help, when this man needed the priest to help him, the priest saw him chose to walk on the other side of the road and walk along. And then Jesus continues the story. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came, when he came and journeyed, came to where he was, the man being beaten on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Now, a Levite is not like a priest. Levites were people who helped the priests. They were still revered. These were still prestigious men, if you recall the Levite. He was still deemed a man of God. But even this man, this man of God, this prestigious man, this upright man, still a man, a person who is deemed a person of God, saw the man on the road, beaten, left half for dead. Left for dead. And chose to walk on the other side of the road and pass him by. Now again, Jesus doesn't tell us why this Levite, why this prestigious man walked to the other side. And again, there could have been many reasons. Maybe the Levite thought, wow, this man is hurt. He was beaten. He was robbed. Maybe that's going to happen to me. And fear that that pain, fear that that damage that happened to this man will happen to him. So he chose to go and walk to the other side. But regardless, regardless of the what ifs, when this man on the road needed help, this Levite, this upright man, this prestigious man, still chose to walk on the other side and pass him by. See, right now things are looking really grim. These are two people who would any of the people in the world, in the Jewish culture, if any people, if any person would go and help this man, it was going to be these two people, the priest and the Levite. This man of God who literally stays in the presence of God or this Levite who is very upright and prestigious. These were the two people, the two people most likely to help this man in his time of need. But the two likely people who was supposed to help him, the two likely people, if anyone in the world would help him, passed him by. All hope's gone now. This man who was left for dead really is now left alone to die. No one beside him. No one to help him. No one else. If these two men wouldn't do it, no one else would. But Jesus continues the story. And he says, But a despised Samaritan came, and he journeyed. He came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on the man. You see, if you guys don't know, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. There was a saying that, for, for the Jews, that if a Jew's shadow crossed paths with a Samaritan shadow, then they would be deemed unclean too, and they would have to go wash themselves. They hated each other. They despised each other. They just straight up didn't like each other for no matter what. But this man, this Samaritan, saw the man on the ground, And had compassion over him. So we continue. He went to him, the Samaritan, 
and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and you do likewise. Out of all the people to help this man who was on this ground, out of all the people to help him, it was the priest and it was the Levite that should have helped this man. The Samaritan, he had every reason. Every reason to ignore the man, to leave him for dead. He had every reason to despise and to be bitter at this man, this, this, this man on the ground. But even though the Samaritan had every reason, he didn't. If this was a Jewish man on the ground, the Jewish man would probably have left the Samaritan left off to die. If this was a Jew and, this, and he saw a Samaritan on the ground, he wouldn't care about him. He wouldn't care about him. He would have left him to die. But this Samaritan saw this man. And he knew, this man, he wouldn't care about me. But you see, it, it didn't matter if this man on the ground didn't care about him. What mattered was that this man on the ground needed the Samaritan. It didn't matter that this man would care about the Samaritan. What mattered was the Samaritan cared. The the Samaritan knew that the man needed him to survive. And I think that's such such the picture of what we see today is why should I care about you when you don't care about me? Why should I care about your well-being when you don't even care about my well-being? And when we look at this and when we answer this and we see this story about the Samaritan and about the man, it doesn't matter that they care about me. What matters is that they need it. It doesn't matter if people care about me. What matters is is that I know that people need for me to care for them. Because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. That is exactly what God did for us. God knew, Jesus knew that we didn't care about him. Jesus knew that we didn't care about what his message was. He knew that all that we cared about was, hey, we want your kingdom to come. We want to overthrow the Romans. We want this. We want that. We want you to fulfill the needs that I want. And Jesus knew that he didn't care, that we didn't care about him. 
But Jesus still cared about us because he knew that, he, that we needed him. You know, before moments, before his death, he was in the garden and he was just praying to his father, Father, take this cup from me. Jesus didn't want to die. Jesus didn't want to go through hours of torture for people who was willingly throwing him into this. But you see, it didn't matter if we cared for him. What mattered was that Jesus knew that we needed it. It doesn't matter that we feel it. What matters is people need it. It doesn't matter that Jesus felt like dying on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because he knew that we needed it. It didn't matter that the Samaritan felt that he was cared for by the man. The Samaritan knew that that man needed it in order for him to live. It doesn't matter that I feel it. What matters is, is that people need it. And I know loving someone sometimes is difficult. Loving someone is, is it's, it's so, so painful. I come from a divorced family. Uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was roughly around second to third grade. My dad walked out. He walked out on our family, and he made my mom become the sole provider. My mom had to play the mother, the father, the provider, the nurturer. She had to do this all by herself, raising two kids. It was hard to love my dad. When I got older and I started playing sports, it, it became, it didn't help. It became even harder. Because at the games, I would see my friends, I would see my teammates' parents cheering for them. My mom couldn't come to my games because she had to work. She had to provide for the two kids. And what hurt a lot was I would see my friends, my teammates' fathers, giving them high fives and having, having them coach, hey, do this instead. Like, hey, I see you're doing this, man. Like, try this. And it was the worst at the end of every game because I would see all my friends and all my teammates with their parents, with their dads. And I'd hated the end of every game because I would then be alone. It was hard to love my dad when I would think about these moments. What made it even harder, probably the hardest, was when my dad told me that he had another family. That he had another wife and that I have a sister. Though I loved my younger sister, it was so hard for me to look at my dad. I felt you left us. <laughs> you left me. And now you go and, and, and you're, you're a father to another family? You're a father to someone else? When you couldn't even do that for us. And it was hard to love my dad. Especially when I thought my dad didn't care about me. 
Because my dad was a stoic man. He would have, our conversations would be either three things. He would either say, Anthony, how are you doing in school? Anthony, are you reading books? And Anthony, don't be stupid. Actually, the third one's more of a statement. And that's probably our conversation. The older I got and the more we thought about family, uh, my dad started to call me more. I would look at the phone and I'd be like, why in the world is he calling me? And I would just ignore the call. You know, but I realized that he started to call and text me more. You know, and, and, and then I decided, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll just pick up. You know, I'll pick up the phone. You know, my dad would talk to me, of course, ask me the same questions and that one statement. And then he would tell me, I would find out that he had tumors in his intestines and that he had to have surgery to remove those tumors. And as he was telling me this, he was telling me, Anthony, that the hardest part about this time, the hardest thing right now is that when I look over in my hospital bed, I have no one. I have nobody. And I'm realizing that the more he's calling me, the more he's texting me now that I, I see that my dad, he was lonely. He felt alone. And it was such a hard time for me. Because how can I love this man who I felt didn't care for me? How can I love this man who didn't care for me when I needed him the most in my life? When I was growing up, when I was trying to be my own man, where was he? But as I thought about this, and I thought more, I knew what I needed to do. That even though I felt that he didn't care for me, I knew what I needed to do. And I remember picking up the phone and started dialing his number. I remember I was just gripping that phone so tightly because I didn't want to do what I was going to do. I didn't want to do it. And as I called him, and he picks up and he says, and I say, hey, Dad, it's Anthony. And he's like, oh, Anthony, hey, what do you want? And I'm on the phone. I'm just like, Dad, I want to tell you something. Dad, I'm sorry for being a bad son. You know, I've hated you for a big portion of my life. And because I hated you, I was being a bad son. And dad, I want you to know that I don't hate you. I love you. You're my dad. And as I was saying this, the first time in my life, the first time I've never heard my dad do this, was I heard my dad for the very first time sob over the phone. And I remember him saying, Anthony, don't say that. Anthony, don't, no, no, don't apologize. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I was being a bad dad. I was being a bad father to you. And I, and I remember this conversation. We're both apologizing, both saying I love you. And you could just imagine two grown men on the phone just crying their eyes out and saying we love each other. 
You see, it didn't matter that I felt that my dad cared for me. What mattered was that I knew my dad needed to know that he was loved. I needed, he needed to hear that he has a family, that he's not forgotten, that he's cared for. Church, it doesn't matter that we feel it. What matters is that people need it. Why should I care for people when I feel that people don't care for me? It's because it doesn't matter if I feel it. What matters is that people right now need it. They need to know that they are cared for. They need to know that they are loved. They need to know that they're not forgotten. It's easy to love someone whom we choose to love. It's easy to love the lovable. Even the most wicked people in the world can love the people they choose to love. But when we choose to love, even when we don't feel like it, when we choose to love, even though we feel they don't care about us, that's the kind of love God says, that's where my love is. When we choose to love, even though when people don't care about us, that's the kind of love where God says, that's where my love is. Because that's the transforming love. That's the power of love. That Jesus shed his blood on the cross for the punishment that we were supposed to take. Even if we didn't care about him he cared about us there are many ways that we can think how can i love how can i love people right now especially in this time of coronavirus in this time of, of urgency of this time of panic and i think it's great that we're living in this digital age right now i mean you're watching a sermon on your phone it's great and maybe right now, God is pressing on your heart that one person that you need to call. Maybe it's that one person you need to text saying, hey, I'm thinking of you. How are you? Or calling that person like, hey, how are you? How are you and your family? Maybe right now, it's, it's, God is pushing you in your small group or in your community group. Maybe God's calling you to be the village, to be the 99 for your small group, for your community group. That is not about one person, but it's all of us banding together so that we can have real accountability. You know, maybe right now, it's time for us just to even just say, hey, what can I do to bring this culture of love to wherever I'm at? To bring this culture that even though you don't care about me, I'm still going to care about you. Maybe it's buying a roll of toilet paper for your neighbor. You see, we love because God loved us first. 
We know love because God loved us first. In this time where people are not caring about one another, and people are wrestling with this idea, why should I care about you when you don't even care about me? Let's be that agent of love. Let's be that beacon of hope that even when people aren't caring, we will care. We get to be the church. We get to be the people. We get to set the culture that it doesn't matter if you care about me because I'm still going to care about you. We get to create that church. We get to create that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's a crazy time right now. We know that people are panicking. People are worrying about what to do and how to live their lives. But Lord, we know that you are still in control, even in the midst of this chaos. And I pray, may you bring a blanket of peace for those who are suffering right now. Because we know that you are still there. And we know that we get to be the hands and feet. So Lord, I pray, even though we don't feel that we are cared for, even though we don't feel, may we know and may we realize that, Lord, people need it now more than ever. People need to know that they are loved, that there is love now more than ever. We pray for the victims and their families, and we pray for the continuous hope that you will shine down. Lord, be present in our lives. Show miracles in our lives. Show love in our lives so that we may know what love is. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.